Hey there, my name is Roy Hyde, and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly, and we're so glad that you've joined us this morning for our online church experience. Last week, we began a series called Here I Am to Worship. Now, much of this series was inspired by the fact that we often associate the term worship as singing. And as a church, we haven't helped this a lot because we always tie when we're about to do singing, we call it worship, and we ask you to worship together with us. And we'll likely probably do that in the future. But during this pandemic, we've discovered that Ontario has these rules that when we come together, we're allowed to gather in the, in the building again, but we can't sing. So does that mean that our worship stops? It's important to understand that worship is something that you assign worth to. Worship isn't just reserved for Christians either. Everyone worships something. Check out this video. Everyone worships. Sure, not everyone wants to call it worship or even think about what they're doing. But everyone worships something. Everyone has some ultimate thing that they center their life around. Something or someone that they hope will give their life meaning or purpose. For some, it's religion. For others, it's money. For some, it's fun. For others, it's success or power or science or knowledge or beauty or popularity. For some, it's love or sex. For some, it's their family. But the Bible says, all things were made by Jesus and for Jesus. This means we were created to worship, but there is only one who is really worthy of our worship. That's why nothing else in this world satisfies. We keep on looking, we keep on striving, we keep on buying, but nothing delivers. Nothing brings us that deep satisfaction that we long for. But when you live your life with Jesus as the center, you're doing exactly what you're created to do. You're right in the place you're supposed to be. So the irony is that when we give our lives over to worship Jesus, that's when we actually find ourselves. Everyone worships, but we were made to worship just one. So it's important that we understand that we all worship something. And worship's not just an activity. It's not just something that you do. It's what we center our lives around. Our worship is made of so many different components. Last week, we talked about how gathering is part of how we worship. Today, I want to look at the role of preaching in our worship. When we are designing a sermon series here at APA, we take a lot of things into consideration. 
First, we want to know what the Holy Spirit's saying in our church right now, in our context. Second, we want to preach something that will challenge you, yet inspire you to pursue Jesus more passionately. We also want you to take what is said and remember it. And so we try to keep the message concise and around 30 minutes. One Sunday, a cowboy went to church, and when he entered, he looked around and he saw it was just him and the preacher as the only ones present. Now, the preacher was a little bit discouraged, and he ended up asking the cowboy, like, do you want me to preach anyway? And the cowboy said this, well, I'm, I'm not too smart, but if I went to feed my cattle and only one showed up, I'd feed them. So the minister began his sermon. One hour passed, then two hours then two and a half hours, the preacher finally finished. He came down from the platform and he asked the cowboy, hey, how'd you like my sermon? The cowboy answered slowly, well, like I said, I'm, I'm not very smart, but if I went to feed my cattle and only one showed up, I sure wouldn't feed them all the hay. Now, as pastors, we definitely want to do what's right, about God, right, right with God. Uh, we also pray that God uses us to be able to impact you. We, we want our messages to be a home run with you. Uh, it, but it's, it's not about us at the same time. God uses us to impact you. Now that doesn't mean that we don't dissect every message afterward and see if there's room for improvement. Sometimes we're our own worst critics. But thankfully, many of you are very gracious and encouraging. Even when, let's say, we know the sermon isn't a home run. A pastor that writes for Christianity Today was telling a story of a man that came up to him after church and let him know, hey, pastor, you're getting better. Yeah, he didn't know if that was a compliment or not, but he decided he's going to count it as a win. And he wondered, what are some of the strangest things that other pastors have had someone say to them after a sermon? And he put it out there on Twitter, and well, here's some of the responses. One pastor said this, come, this, this lady came up to him after and said, coming from my other church and my former pastor to here is like, and listening to you is like going from filet mignon to ground beef hamburger meat. Now he says this, and I don't suggest this, but he says, unfortunately, in my youthful insecurity, the next week I handed her a bottle of A1 steak sauce and encouraged her to go back to her old pastor. Another pastor commented this, whose dad was obviously a pastor. He said, on the way out of church on Sunday mornings, a guy used to give my dad a nickel for a swing and a miss, a dime for a decent job, and a quarter if heaven was stirred. Another one said this, I was new to my first church, and someone said, you're not like most pastors. When you say you sin, we actually believe you. Another one said this, an elderly female guest pianist came up, to, came up to him after the service and said, did you go to seminary? Yes, ma'am, he said. Did you graduate? Another one came up to the pastor and said, see, pastor, you can preach a good sermon. Very, very encouraging. Another one said, I had a lady that would tell me after every sermon, just keep trying. Another one said, the Lord healed me of insomnia during your message. And this other guy says, I, I was preaching in a church that met in a space with a bathroom just off the worship space. And this guy came up to me after service and said, your sermon was so good, I left the bathroom fan off so I could hear you preach. 
And another guy says, a guy in my church approached me after what must have been a very personally convicting sermon and said, great teaching, but don't you ever talk to me like that again. Have you ever had a sermon that just felt like maybe the preacher was preaching directly right at you or like he or she had maybe had some inside information on you? I read recently this expose that a group had done of so-called psychics. Many of the older psychics would use this, uh, this technique called a cold reading. They were actually quite skilled at reading people's body language or making calculated assumptions based on things that another person would say or things that they wore. And then they would make this claim about you that was completely vague, but because combined with their educated guesses, this would usually hit home for the person. Really, really disturbing. But today's psychics or so-called psychics use this combination of cold reads and hot reads. A hot read is where a psychic or their team are able to scroll through and search through your Facebook feed or your social media feed and pull information that they can use against you. An example of this was an interview that a psychic had with former NBC host Matt Lauer. In the interview, the psychic said he was able to see a a vision of Matt out on the water fishing. And on the boat with him, though Matt couldn't see him, there was a man with him that he figures was his dad, and that his dad wanted him to know that he was not alone. Well, Matt Lauer was moved to the verge of tears and would later say that he went home and wept after this conversation. However, the expose team, as they were able to dig in, they found this old interview that Matt Lauer did with Larry King, where he talked about how his dad taught him how to fish. And sometimes when he's alone in the boat, he still feels like his dad is there. It's sick, actually. These so-called psychics use something so intimate against Matt to promote his show and and ultimately profit from it. Here's the thing. See, God knows everything about you. And if you're open, God will use a sermon or a song, sometimes a conversation, to speak directly to you and guide you and ultimately change you. Except there's no tricks. There's no techniques. It's not done for profit. God's Holy Spirit, through a sermon, can communicate with you in a way that is a gentle nudge, not a forcible manipulation. That's why preaching is so important. It's why we devote roughly half our Sunday services to it. It's a large part of our corporate and personal worship. But why would I take time to preach a message about preaching? It's not like you're in Bible college today. Why? Well, there's a couple reasons why. Number one, you'll have a better understanding of your response to preaching if you biblically know why it is that we, it's part of our gatherings. Number two, you'll understand that the preaching that you're listening to should be biblically sound. Because if it's not, it's not worth your time or attention. It's important that the word of God is preached. But what is the word of God? Well, it can mean a few different things. The word of God is quite literally the word that God speaks. For example, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, it is the literal word of God that he spoke. In John 1.1, when it, it said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Here, it is referring that Jesus was the word, or is the word of God. The word of God walked amongst us. The word of God is also scripture, the Bible. Through the the words in the Bible, inspired by the Holy Holy Spirit, recorded by men, we come into an encounter with the living God. Preaching is also the word of God. 
Preaching is the living word, interpreted for this time, for this audience. And God does this incredible thing where through a pastor who's in relationship with their church family, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they present the scripture to help them grow in their faith and relationship with Jesus. The word of God is often described as the living word of God. It's not an old archaic book, but this book of life that is completely relevant to today. The role of preaching is to present this incredible truth with context to its current audience to be able to go out and live this truth. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 8 today. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, the Israelites see how incredibly powerful the word of God is, including how important preaching is. Now, before this time, the Israelites were exiled in Babylon. And the Babylonians had come, they'd conquered the Israelites, they'd ripped them out of their country, and, and they'd sort of enslaved them. They, they, they persecuted, they oppressed them, they held them back, and they forbid them from practicing their faith. They were enslaved, they were oppressed, but as time went on, they were separated from the word of God. They were separated from the laws, the Jewish laws. They were the traditions of their ancestors, the heart of much of what their worship was. In Nehemiah 8, the Babylonians decide that they're going to release the Israelites to, from the captivity, and they allow them to go back and reestablish themselves as a nation once again. They're now back in Jerusalem, looking to reestablish their homes, reestablish their communities, and ultimately reestablish their worship. At times during COVID, we may have felt like we were the exiled Israelites. And returning to church is just us returning to our Jerusalem. But it's really not even close. We were never asked to stop worshiping our God. Our Bibles were never taken away from us. And we were able to meet, even if it was online. It was far from persecution. However, as we start to reestablish going back to our churches again, it, it, it does kind of feel like we're trying to reestablish some of our worship practices. So now the Israelites have returned, and Ezra, a priest and scribe, gathers the people to read, the, read from the Torah or the ancient scriptures for the first time in a whole generation. And they gathered down, they sat around, much like we do in our churches, and, and they were just so hungry for the word of God. Nehemiah 8.8 says, They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. In other words, they sat down and they listened to a sermon. In fact, Ezra appointed 13 preachers to go out and preach to the people. They were take, to take the scriptures and explain to the people that these were sacred words meant for the people, for their lives, for how they were to live in community with others. And as they preached the word, Nehemiah 8.9 says that those that listened, they wept. The word of God literally brought them to tears as they listened. Has that ever happened to you when you've heard a sermon? Maybe you found yourself fighting back tears. Maybe you just outright bawled, ugly cried. Or if you're a guy, either, yeah, there was something in your eye. Perhaps a sermon has just broken you. Maybe you didn't even see it coming. I, I still remember it was a summer night in 2007. God and I had been wrestling with something and he'd prompted me towards being a, a pastor and I was kind of stubborn. 
And so I tried a bunch of different other careers for, for a decade and only to be completely dissatisfied with anything that I put my hand to. And I remember sitting in a family camp church service at Lakeshore Camp in Coburg, listening to Pastor Darren Latham as he challenged us to really hear what God was saying to us. And I remember more about my response to God's word than the actual words themselves. But I left that night changed. I left that night knowing my wife Jen knew what we needed to do. We were both so moved emotionally by the sermon, we just knew God was taking our lives in a completely different direction. That's the power of the word of God. See, if you come with expectation and an openness, you will be surprised that God's word can move you to tears. It can, it can challenge you, convict you, shake you up, and inspire you. For years, I had run from this call that God put on my life, and instead of feeling guilty or shamed by my own disobedience, I, I felt God's grace saying, I'm calling you again. It was through that sermon I was able to actually see my place in God's plan, even though I probably didn't feel any more qualified than I did 10 years earlier. God can use a sermon to challenge you, yet encourage you at the same time. I wonder if God's people felt this, the ones that had come back from Babylon to Jerusalem. I wonder if they felt this mix of remorse and hope at the same time when they heard God's word. I wonder if they realized that they were not treating each other the way God would want them to, but at the same time, they just saw this hope for a better future. Their tears, as they wept, were probably a mixture of conviction and joy, conviction and hope. God's word spoken through a simple person. Let's be clear. As a pastor, there's, I, I'm just a guy, a simple person. But God chooses to use me. And, and what we call a sermon, it can often hold a mirror up to you and cause you to squirm a little. Ultimately, the purpose of preaching is to proclaim the presence of God, the grace of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in and around you. A sermon should be able to detail the issue of sin and at the same time point to the hope of the gospel, or in other words, the good news. There should be good news. Ezra and Nehemiah proclaim this for the people of Israel. Nehemiah 8.9 says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, good preaching should produce a path to hope and cultivate our faith. It doesn't matter what your situation is. Preaching God's word should give you a roadmap to a better future and an eternal hope. And when Nehemiah and Ezra were done teaching, they, they ate. A good sermon should feel like that, like a good meal. You should come away feeling nourished, nourished in your soul, your heart, your mind, or possibly all three. 
Many of us have been invited over to someone's house that maybe we've never been to for a meal before. And sometimes you find yourself sitting down and you're you're sitting there about to eat something you've never tried before. Maybe it's a little bit hard to chew or perhaps it's a little sour. It's a little difficult to swallow. That's what a sermon's like sometimes. It's in that moment you either have to choose to shut down and step away from the table or you just trust the preacher that what they're cooking or... Trust that what, what you're being offered is in your best interest or the best interest of the group of whole, as a whole. I now have been the lead pastor at APA for 21 months. And over that period of close to two years, I've developed a deeper relationship with many of you. You've had a chance to hear my heart, sometimes in person, sometimes through a sermon. I've heard many of yours. You've heard many of my personal stories. You've laughed at some of my slip-ups. We've dealt with some pretty heavy topics at times. And not everyone agrees with everything all the time. That's okay. But I hope there's this level of trust that's been built that maybe wasn't there in October of 2018 when I started here. The relationship that we've built helps me lead you into a deeper relationship with God. There's a level of trust. But sticking with the food analogy, not every sermon can be served like dessert. Because you need fiber, you need veggies, nutrients. And sometimes you need a dose of medicine that can, honestly, can go down like Buckley's. But it's instrumental in getting us better. Good preaching should point to God's word and and touch touch on a bunch of different topics. Because what you need to understand is that God's going to use the message to hit hit people differently. It's like, if I was able to send each of you a $20 bill, which you'd love, you, obviously, you'd love that, but I think the reaction would vary. As you opened up in the mail, you opened up your $20 bill. I don't think anybody's going to turn it down, but you might notice that as I send out $20 bills to each person, maybe for one person, a tear runs down their face as they open up the envelope. Because that, for that person... What you don't know is maybe they lost their job. The hydro, the hydro company is threatening to turn off the lights. They have two small kids to feed. They've, they're stretched and there's no more way for them to, to gain any more income. And that morning, they prayed to God. They needed him to make a way when it seemed like there was no way. He need, they needed him to show up in the middle of their mess. They were $20 short on their bills and they had no idea where it was going to come from. And suddenly in the mail, a $20 bill comes. That tear runs down their face. That's what the sermon's going to be like on certain days for certain people. Because some of you will will come and you'll listen to a message and you'll say, well, the sermon was okay. It's like I could use another $20. I'm not going to turn it away. But it doesn't have the same impact as that person who desperately needed it. But meanwhile, we might be talking about how God surrounds you in the midst of your fear and someone a few seats over who's been struggling all week is bawling their eyes out when they hear the word of God. That one scripture, that one promise is their $20 in the middle of the crisis. Yet the next week, that same person who was crying all of a sudden isn't really that convicted or that moved by the message yet... You're sitting by them and you're a conflicted mess. 
every sermon isn't going to be a home run for all people. But every time the word of God is preached, there is something there for everyone. Good preaching will keep you coming back for more. As one churchgoer said to another, I may not remember every meal my, my spouse made over the years, but I know I was fed nourishing food that sustained me day to day. In the same way, I may not remember every sermon that, in detail, but I know I was fed on the nourishing word of God that sustained me from week to week. See, when the Israelites sat and they listened to the word of God, they saw their future laid out for them. God's future for you becomes clearer when you're exposed to God's word through preaching, through teaching, through the cross, through the resurrection of Jesus. This is why we dedicate a portion of our worship service to preaching. So that you can gather as a group in worship to listen to and then ultimately live out the gospel the rest of your week. Let me close with this. Come to God's word. Be fed by God's word. Be filled with hope and faith in God's word. And then go with God's word and bring light to the darkest corners of your community. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the times when I can turn to your word and be able to, to, uh, to pull out the promises or pull out the guidance that I need in certain situations. I thank you for the teachers and preachers in my life that have been obedient to your word and, and convicted me at times, even made me squirm at times, but ultimately led me to be more and more like Jesus. And so God, this, this, I, I pray, Lord, for those that are, that are listening to this message today, I pray that they would lean into your word. I pray that uh, they, would, they would see the, the preaching as not, uh, not something that's confrontational, not something that, that should make them uncomfortable, but something that's, that's pruning them on a daily basis. And ultimately, God, I pray that you would, you would give them your word to take with them on their day, as they face trials and face tribulations. And God, as they head into their schools and their workplaces and to their neighbors, that they would pass on your word to those that are in desperate need of, of hope and eternity. Amen.